here's one we can both enjoy, Podcast 69, for our mutual benefit. UK Motor Talk. Well, as always, it's time for us to say good evening, good morning, or good afternoon, or whenever it is you're listening to us, good night, potentially, who knows? And if you're going to bed with us, lucky you. There's more of us this evening, which is great news for you, I'm sure, and probably even worse news for Andrew, because we've got more of us now to edit together. Um, But we have got David, who's come to join us, who you may or may not remember from previous Goodwood reports and numerous other things in the past, so welcome back. Hello, it's nice to be back. How are we all? Good evening, very well, very well. Jolly good. And of course, dotted all over my screen, we have more people. So I've got Graham. Hello again. And we've got Jim as well. Hello there, how are we doing? Once again, we are brought to you via the medium of Zoom. So thanks for that, guys. I think before we talk about anything else, we probably need to talk about Alex Zanardi, don't we? I think we do. Good. Fingers crossed and um, just just all thoughts and, uh, and goodwill that we can send down. I'm sure we're not alone in that. It, uh, it sounded like an absolutely horrific accident uh, for him to go through. But if, there, if there's anybody who can come through uh, an incident like that, come out fighting and come out the other side even stronger than before, it's, uh, it's Alex. I think what he's gone through in the past is testament to that. But uh, fingers crossed for him and, uh, and all the best to him and his, his family, friends and loved ones. Well, he's, he's got the right man in his corner because uh, he personally knows and is known by the Pope. And the Pope wrote to the family, apparently, is uh, praying for him. But the medical reports certainly aren't good. I mean, this is a man who's already had enough crap dropped on him, basically. I mean, you know, a cart race and he loses both legs in one of the worst smashes that uh, that I think ever been recorded in cart. And uh, uh, just a few years later, and he's uh, in a trike, in a, in a cycle race, unhit by a car and... Um, According to reports, massive facial and head injuries. And I've not heard any reports for the last 24 hours or so, so uh, hopefully things have improved, but uh, it certainly didn't look good. I think he's still in an induced coma. It did all go a bit quiet, didn't it, after the initial flurry of news, but unfortunately a bit eerily similar to uh, to Michael Schumacher, of course. We don't get too many updates on his condition, so I, I dearly hope it's not a case of... Um, of no news or no news being bad news for the foreseeable future. It, uh, it would be good to hear some good news mm-hmm. for once. Yeah, yeah. But if, uh, like I say, if, if anyone can come out fighting with uh, with that attitude, it's him. I remember hearing a, a story, I think he was um, uh, not long after he'd returned to racing after losing both legs. And, you know, somebody said, you, you know, you're not scared of, uh, after an accident, such a horrific event like that, you know, something else happening to you. Uh, and I think on one occasion he said, "Well, my legs can't fall off again." Uh, and uh, another time he said to the uh, the reporter, "He said, well, it's, it's dead easy. If I do have a shunt and my legs fall off, uh, then I've got some spares in the back of the car, and I just need a ten mil spanner to put them back on. So it will be a much quicker rehabilitation process than last time." But I, th- I think that showed the the energy and the um, the charisma of the man. I met him once or twice, only for you know an autograph or a, a selfie or whatever, not to chat to at any great length. But he was just a a warm and welcoming. Personally, though, he looked you in the eye when he when he spoke to you, and just a, a proper gentleman. So fingers mm. crossed for him. Yeah, good luck to him mm. for sure. Here, here. Now there are lots of things that have been really inconvenient when it comes to the whole Corona lockdown and everything else. One of those things that must be massively inconvenient is if you're learning to drive. 
because uh, let's face it, it's very difficult to be two metres away from your instructor because they need to be there to sort of grab the steering wheel or stamp on the brake or pull the handbrake up, whatever. And I've actually seen a Fiesta with a shield mounted right down the middle um, <laughs> so they could separate the, the, the driving instructor from the pupil. But they're restarting lessons from the 4th of July and then 22nd July tests. And I'm, I'm just thinking that's there's a fair old chunk to have lost in that bit in the middle. I don't know about you guys, but it was when I learned to drive all the way back in 2005. Uh, I was 17 <laughs> years old. I was out and about and it was the winter. And we, got the, we got the rain, we got the snow, we got a bit of everything. And actually, it snowed on the day of my test. They cancelled all the tests afterwards. It's probably the only reason why I passed, to be completely honest. That and the fact that they ended up taking us from uh, Hove, which was all hills and, and roundabouts and hill starts and everything else, right into, uh, into Shoreham, where I lived at the time. And um, I think that probably just about got me through. But I did have to do it in a Vauxhall Corsa, which is, in, in hindsight, at the time I thought was, was not a bad car. In hindsight, I'm thinking, <laughs> mm, probably should have held out from, and found something cool to drive in. Because you can learn to drive in, in anything now, pretty much. I've seen there was someone doing a Focus RS driving car, which I thought would be a hell of a car to learn to pass your test in. So it's the first car you've ever driven legally on the road. They'd be mad. Well, I think the uh, the idea of having a screen halfway halfway down the car is just a nightmare for all sorts of reasons, isn't it? Because a you can't grab the steering wheel if you need. B what about reflections? Or especially if the sun gets a little bit lower. Or over the last couple of weeks, you've actually seen quite a bit of sunshine. It's it's going to be a nightmare for that. Plus, you're you're sat in an enclosed space, so a screen doesn't make any sense. It's like it's like having to wear a mask on a plane or sit two seats apart on on an aircraft it, it doesn't make any sense at all i think that's uh i think that's somebody going a bit dark there yeah i quite agree it's it's just it's it's like the barber having a screen which is between you and and him so the chances of you getting a shave where you retain both ears is pretty slim you definitely will be able to cut you, uh, if you go to the hairdressers or, or the barbers you have to wear a face mask but the only reason i would need to visit the barbers is to have a beard trim so Wearing a face mask kind of defeats the object of going. Mm. I think I've got a solution to this learning to drive problem. And this is, you know that when you, <laughs> you can legally drive tanks on the road and scout cars and such, I think what you need to do is have your instructor standing out the top so then he's, he's, he or she is in the fresh air and you can be you know, down that you know, side operator controls. Convertible. Maybe there that's the answer. Social distancing could be vertical rather than horizontal. That would solve that problem. Pope-mobile. Yeah. <laughs> Double glaze the top of your convertible car so that in all weathers you can sit there regally and sort of pronounce on whether or not you hit the brake quick enough. <laughs> how hot would that be? Can you imagine how unbelievably hot it would be inside that thing? Probably only work in the winter, admittedly, yes. But, I mean, you talk about the greenhouse effect. There it is in action. But I don't know. It could be quite amusing seeing all these things. At least you'd be able to spot all the learners on the road a lot quicker. There's a classic bit of Laurel and Hardy with... Uh stands on a, a short ladder in the back of their Model T Ford. Um, and uh, he doesn't sort of stay there very long because they're moving at some reasonable pace with Ollie Hardy driving. Uh, I think the first lamppost takes him out. I've just tried to decide whether it be remiss of me not to make a learning to drive on a Model T joke here. <laughs> just, just insert. Very tricky. Have you tried driving a Model <laughs> T? I have. It doesn't surprise me. I quite enjoyed a lesson from a, uh, an expert that was looking after Ford UK's Model T 
It's just a totally different, totally alien animal. You know, the pedals are the wrong way around, etc., etc. It takes a bit of mastering. I don't think I've ever driven anything that's thoroughly confused me as of yet. I have to say, I think probably the oldest thing I've ever driven is a Model Y, um, which is pretty conventional, apart from the fact the brakes are dreadful and it's slow as hell. <laughs> but I'm just, I'm trying, I don't think really beyond that, the oldest car, the oldest sort of cars I've really been driving are stuff from the 70s, I suppose. Certainly the oldest car I owned was a Mark 1 Fiesta. 1977 Fiesta. I drove a Daft Variomatic oh. once, and that was like point and go. And it was just like, are the revs ever going to catch up with the speed? It was just a, a yeah. weird experience. Yeah, I drove one of those. The bands always slipped. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Isn't it what CVT became? It was just an early form of that that was later perfected by, well, say perfected, made barely usable by people like Fiat, because there was the Uno <laughs> Selector, wasn't there, and yeah. various yeah. things. Are these the ones that sort of had two cones opposite each other or something, and the band that's moved it. up and down them? Yeah, I remember yeah, hearing about it. this. Yeah. It's like a bizarre concept. Well, it's, you're always in the right gear by definition. I mean, I, I can't even begin to describe how it works because I don't really know, but I know it's always in the correct gear, which is why the engine always sounds like it's chasing itself, trying to catch up with the revs, where it sounds like a learner, ironically, is learning to drive because it sounds like you're slipping the clutch the whole time. Yeah, yeah it was an unusual sensation, wasn't it? If you floored it, the, the engine shot up to 5,250 RPM or whatever the peak torque and power was and and it just stayed there didn't it was it very peculiar you sounded like an amateur wherever whenever you drove the thing so i had the absolute opposite problem when it came to uh, sort of slipping the clutch moving away with my my uh my first sort of lesson i suppose i remember we were we sat down in a nice little quiet residential street and the driver instructor said right this is this is your tire now so we're going to lift up the clutch put the throttle down you know just just be gentle with it and we'll, we'll move off actually no, he didn't say gentle he said be smooth with it it would have been more helpful if it didn't be gentle because effectively what I did was sidestep the clutch and nail the throttle. And just <laughs> the thing just span up, just straight down the road, an absolute boy racer. My driving instructor let me do something similar. I was learning to drive when I was at college, as uh, as most people of, um, of our age were. And, uh, and he picked me up outside one day. And uh, just outside college was that, that wonderful concrete that our local council had a, a habit of putting on the roads everywhere that was just unbelievably slippery when it was raining and he, he picked me up one day and it was uh, it was bucketing it down and uh, i got in the car and he said oh well um just uh, just so you're aware this will be the last lesson in this car then i've got another car being delivered tomorrow so you've got a couple of weeks before your test to get used to the new car etc so all right okay lovely uh and uh, and a load of my mates had, had gathered to watch me have my lesson outside and hope that I'd stall it, etc. So I just said, well, can I, can I spin the wheels up and light it up? So he said, yeah, yeah, go, go for it, go for it, why not? And uh, and I managed to, uh, to wheel spin it all the way from college to the roundabout at the end of the road, which I was uh, quite impressed with. That was enjoyable. And uh, like you say, I've driven that way ever since. <laughs> my, my driving instructor was an absolute lad. I was taught to drive by an army sergeant. And he, if you got something wrong... He would he would stop right, stop the car. You'd stop the car. Go, right, get out. You go right, do that again. I'll introduce you to Arthur. You go, who's Arthur? Arthur, big axe handle. Don't you do it right? And you'd be back in the car again. You wouldn't do it wrong again. Um, but he, he seemed to have some some anger management issues. I think <laughs> with I think it's the only way to really describe him. And I will always remember he just he, we did some fantastic stuff. We'd go through the country roads, and he would say, oh, you know, you do this whole thing at sixty. And uh, so I'm, I'm not really sure. He goes, no, you can. He's like, oh. I said, right, okay, show me. So he showed me. He goes, right, we're going to get back in the car. I'm going to show you the racing line. 
So, <laughs> so he got back in the car, he showed me the racing line, and sure as, sure as hell, we did, we did the whole thing at 60 miles an hour, no braking. But the, th- <laughs> the one that I will always remember is we were sat at the traffic lights, and this is by um, Sainsbury's in Hove, and there's this a Vauxhall Chevalier pulled up with four guys, and, you know, and they were all the bass was going, the subs, you could see the windows shaking at the back, and they put alongside and they're revving up. And he goes, right, he said, okay, well, what I want you to do is just do exactly what, what just, I tell you. Just, just to jump in, what what colour was that Cavalier? Well, I can't remember that. I'll be honest. Yeah, I've, I've I've got a funny feeling I might have been in the back of that Cavalier. <laughs> well, he said, right, I, I want you to do exactly, exactly uh, what, what I tell you. So we sat there. He goes, you ready? Right, get it, get it on the bike. We'll get it on the bike point. So we got there. He goes, right, okay, when we go... I want you to go and change gear when I tell you. And we <laughs> we pulled off the lights, flat down, straight off, straight through the gears, <laughs> beat this Cavalier up up the road, caught him up for the next set of traffic lights. He wound down the window, and this is where you're going to have to bleep it, shouted, Oh, you've just been done by a learner! In front of all his mates. <laughs> I, I, I have got a funny feeling. If if I wasn't in the back of that Cavalier, I think I do know the... Uh... The bloke who owned and drove that Cavalier. So it was one of those things at college, wasn't it? You knew lots of people, but you maybe didn't know their name. You just knew them by what car they had. So there was still the case uh, now. You know, do, do you know so and so? No, no, I don't know. Oh, the kid with the blue Escort RS two thousand. Oh yeah, 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 I know him. Yeah, that was it. And there, that's the one. There was a whole group of us that we had no idea what our names were. It was just me with the Mark with the green Mark two Golf, and I would say him with the Escort or. Dave with his uh, his succession of Cavaliers or Chavaliers. I think that could have been down to the possibly due to the fact he was four up or the uh, the two fifteen inch subs that he had in the boot. One of the two. Even now, if I scroll through my phone, there are people who are it's like Kieran Mark One Fiesta, for example, in there. You know, it, it's like Ben Escort. Who knows? He might be an escort. Might drive an escort. I was going to say, are, are you <laughs> sure that's related to the car that he drives? I don't know. It doesn't say like Ben, thirty-year-old escort on it. Either way, it could equally be accurate, couldn't it? Each to their own. <laughs> My driving instructor had a great trick. He was um, he was like me, harboured grudges, and uh, there was a place round the back of Surbiton, which, as you know, if you know Surbiton, there are parts of it that are quite posh and awfully nice, very wide roads, and the test centre was around there back in those days, which was. Well, I won't tell you when. It was a long time ago. It wasn't quite Model T era, but, you know, it was a Mark II Fiesta I learned to drive in, and it was quite new. Anyway, there's a road, a big wide road up there, just around the back of the test centre, where every single driving instructor used to go and do the reverse round the corner trick. And my driving instructor used to say, well, just do it in front of this house. He said, "Uh, you may notice something. This was the first time we'd done it. You may notice the movement behind you. Don't worry. Don't get spooked by it. Just go with it. Reverse around the corner, then pull back in front of the house. So I did that. Came around the corner. Slipping the clutch. He said, make make a bit of a noise when you do it. Came back round. Went to do it again. And there's a a car parked about a centimetre behind us. And he goes, that's the miserable old... Who lives in this big house that we've just reversed around the corner? He hates it when all the driving instructors come and reverse around his corner on his non-private road. So he said, "We've all got an agreement between us that we take it in turns to man the shift, and every single night we do the same trick." So uh, you've kept the tradition alive. And I thought, "Oh, I've done." My... And then when my mates were all learning to drive, we all did the same trick. You know, he'd say, "Have you reversed around that corner outside number whatever it is?" Oh yeah, yeah, we did that the other night. Came sat behind us with a full beam on. Yeah, it was, no, huge, huge fun. And we used to just go and do it for a laugh after that even in your own car with your mates just reverse around see if you can trigger a response 
Uh, they say I'm bitter and twisted. That's a bit like my friend's driving instructor. His uh, his route every day um, took a route past his ex-wife's house. So <laughs> every single time he had a driving lesson, he uh, he had to drive past this guy's ex-wife's house and uh, and beat the horn, etc. And as as he progressed and got more and more advanced and in control of the car, you know, he he was allowed to uh, to upgrade to uh, window down. Arm out of the window, shouting abuse as well, etc. But every, every day, and of course, he had, I don't know, eight, eight hours worth of lessons a day. So it tended to be two hour lessons at, uh, at that time. So at least four or five times a day. She'd get the horn and then the abuse. My... Combining business and pleasure. <laughs> yeah. My instructor, it, I, I also was lucky enough to pass first time. And I think that's largely due to the fact that, apart from the obvious beatings that would ensue if I did something wrong anyway. Um, he would always say, oh, just hurry up, would you? Because I might get some pretty young girl in here instead of you. And that's pretty much it. He just wanted to be gone. Going round the room then. So it sounds like, Gates, you uh, you passed first time, did you? And so did you, David. Uh, I did, yes. Yes, I'm yep. proud to say. Graham, what about you? Yeah, I passed first time, but uh, I had been driving for four years without a licence before I even got around to taking a test. Uh, <laughs> and on, on, on your own private road... No, I lived in central duly London. San- duly at the time. sanctioned by Her Majesty the Queen. No, I used to drive to work every day. Uh, never got around to doing. <laughs> Just never but got around enough. to doing and, a test. Andrew, what about you? Uh, I, I passed second time. In true coronavirus Boris Johnson update, I passed my first test second time. I passed my second test first time, <laughs> and then passed my third test second time. But it was uh, it was okay. So whether whether the best drivers pass first time or second time, I've uh, I've got it covered any which way. Uh, I hasten to add the uh, the third time round was doing my trailer test, which of course doesn't come with a uh, with a license since since about what two thousand was it something like that. So the uh, uh, the most recent test was to go and do the trailer test. But yeah, that was second time round. I, I did that. What, what I can't remember what it was called. It was like an advanced test you could do after you did your after you did your normal test. Pass plus. Pass plus. I, yes. I, did, I did pass plus. That was that. I failed my first driving test mainly because a, uh, a bus pulled down in front of me, and so I blasted the horn and called him a <laughs> which uh, didn't go down too well with him. The there we go. <laughs> I did my this the pass plus in with a police driving instructor, which was brilliant. In a Volvo with all the chevrons and things on the back, which was even better. So I got to drive <laughs> up to central London of an evening, drove all around central London and everything, but going up the um, the motorway, and it was just you know, people sitting in the middle lane or whatever, so you, you come up briskly behind them, leaving the suitable amount of gap, and then the instructor would lean over and flash them, and then what they would do is a poo, and then just pull over to the side very, very quickly as you went sailing past in this Volvo, and it was brilliant, it was absolutely glorious, and to this point, I'd be tempted just to have a Volvo with the chevrons on the back, because, you know, why not? I was once uh, delivering a. Um, it, it was a strange, uh, strange bit of kit. It hadn't been registered yet, or uh, or indeed fully converted and striped up. But it was a fire vehicle, but with without the stickers etc. on it. So all intents and purposes, it was an unmarked fire support vehicle. But a, uh, as I was driving along, delivering it, just tootling along, somebody did pull out and uh, and cut me up at a roundabout, and I blasted the horn. But un, unbeknownst to me. The uh, the lights and the blues and twos etc were in the in the position where if you blasted the horn it lit up absolutely everything and you have never seen somebody <laughs> dive out of the way into a layby to get out of my way so quickly but it was uh, it was quite entertaining I must admit it took me about four minutes to work out how to turn them all off but there we go 
It is one of the most glorious things. I've had to drive a number of police cars over the years and fire engines and bits and pieces. I think the only time I've come really unstuck was I had the button. This was a, a fire engine type thing as well. But the button's on the back of the gear stick. And you know it does that sort of thing as you... When they try to get yes, the, the, the yellow button yeah. which you should never press. Yeah. Yes, I know the yes. I know the one you mean. On the, what's right on the back of the uh, of the gear stick, <laughs> I went to change gear, put it into third, and then just exactly that, or, to, or third into fourth, and and again, it really does um, it does surprise people, you know. I think that's the idea, isn't it? Yes, surprising <laughs> yeah. people. Look, I'm here. I'm in a twenty ton truck loaded with water, and I need to get past you. Move. <laughs> but that's people don't see it. I, I remember driving through driving through hassocks and there was this this roadworks and an ambulance come up behind this this old lady and she was crawling through these roadworks about 20 miles now everyone pulled over to the side and uh this the ambulance was behind it was making all the noises and doing the the extra little wails and things that they do to try and get people out of the way and the guy in the roadworks was like waving her over get, get out of the way get out of the way and she was going no 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 out the window i'm in no hurry I mean, no, no hurry, no, dear. No, she said, no, no, no. Everyone had dived out of the way. No, no, no. This, you see this ambulance trying to get through. How oblivious can you be? How can you not see an ambulance behind you? Walking through Littlehampton many, many years ago, walked around the corner coming out of the library and the building next door was the fire station. And on the forecourt of the fire station was a fire engine attempting to leave on a shout with everything going and two little old ladies had pulled up and were having a conversation and absolutely refused to move. He had to back the fire engine up and then drive around them to get the damn thing off to the emergency. They just had no idea he was there. Extraordinary. That should be when uh, when the emergency services are allowed to, to just ram them out of the way. They should have uh, bull bars agree. or uh, at least deployable bull bars so they can just barge them out of the way. A bit like uh, a clip I saw this week. I've seen it many times before, but a, uh, a car in America parked in front of a fire hydrant and uh, the fire service needed access to it and the quickest way was through the vehicle in question. So the hose went in one side and out the other. There were a few dents on the uh, on the door where they had to... <laughs> lean and get the uh, get the hose connected and uh, that that did make me chuckle and i think in the best bit is as well as uh, having his car smashed to pieces he got a bill for obstructing a fire hydrant as well happy yeah, quite right absolutely quite right too i did a drive and survive course many many years ago in the early 90s and uh, chatting to the instructor who turned out to be a police or retired police cl- uh, close protection officer and he was uh, Aside from telling me, look, you've got to dominate the situation. If you want to go through that gap, make them move over, etc. It was very aggressive, uh, of course. But he was telling me a story about how somebody pulled in front of him who uh, was of the impression that this guy, this police officer, had cut him up. So he came to the, the guy's uh, window. He was in an unmarked police car. Came to the guy's window, started banging on his window. And the guy said, well, I just opened my jacket and let him see that I'd got a... Uh, a, a sidearm and a shoulder holster. He said, you've never seen anybody get back in their car so fast. <laughs> and is, is that something that the Institute of Advanced Motorists would agree with? <laughs> oh, well, yeah, well, arm everybody. Ca- yeah. Carrying as as a sidearm, the, quite right. As long as you pass the test, you're a fair game, yeah. You get um, pistol if you just get the standard. If you go for the Masters, it's an MP5. <laughs> <laughs> I, li- I like the sound of that. I can get on board with that. I'm studying oh. for my Masters now. I didn't know there were different grades. I fell out of membership so many years ago now that I hadn't realised there were different grades. Well, good luck with that. No, I'm not really. I just want the gun. Um, no, it's, um, 
this. Uh, the the masters is the highest uh, civilian qualification you can get. The masters with distinction. They uh, they obviously sort of lane them after um, university degrees that sort of thing. But um, mm. I've, I've just got to pass. But I, I felt pretty pleased with myself just to do that. To be honest, have you got the badge on the car? Indeed. No, no, you, no you way. Make a I'm, not, <laughs> I'm not marking myself out. Every police car will just follow you everywhere. Going, go on, just creep over the limit. I dare you. No, I, never, never. I once witnessed an amazing road rage incident where a guy got out of the car. He was behind this um, this CRV. I can't remember what he was driving. I think it was a Volvo. Anyway, he got out of the car and they had this massive, massive argument. It got quite heated. And he goes, I didn't want to do this. I didn't want to do this. But and he pulled out a card that said it was in the Institute of Advanced Motorists and showed it to them. <laughs> what's, what's that going to do? It's very threatening. Well, that's you shown, isn't it? Yeah. yeah, that's it. Great. Take heed, son. Take heed. They do a, a, a community one near us, which I think is targeted at younger drivers. Um, and they, ha- they, they appeared at like a, a car show down on, on the steam. And uh, they wanted people to join up and, and do this sort of short course. Uh, I'd be really tempted to turn up in the race car just, just, just for giggles. I think it would be superb. Just drive it around very slowly. It's nice to see things somewhat slowly but surely getting back to normal and uh, of course anyone who was learning or just about ready to take their test just before lockdown hit of course it's put that that dream of freedom and motoring on hold for a few months and I'm sure we all remember that the feeling when we passed and could take the old plates off and head out on our own that feeling of freedom so it's uh, it's good that that, that is heading back to normal and uh, another thing that is getting back to normal a little bit quicker than planned was the, uh, the end to the MOT extensions. Of course, many dealerships are back open and up and running now, uh, even if it's with reduced staff or strange procedures, etc., to uh, to look after everyone and keep everyone safe. But there is, uh, there's there's going to be a bit of a rush for MOTs in the not-too-distant future. So, uh, top tip from us all, get your car booked in for an MOT sooner rather than later, because you might find uh, you're unable to get a space at your local or preferred or trusted garage and, uh, and be left up up a creek without a paddle useful consumer advice the first of august yeah first of august is the first ones get in early if you can and uh, a trusted garage good advice indeed it was an odd one you could see the situation building up because by by giving everyone a six-month extension that's that's in effect i there's obviously more cars registered in in March and September, um, and the lockdown period covered March and September. But even just to keep the uh, the figures easy, let's say half of all the cars on the road all of a sudden need an MOT on the same day. That that mm. can be quite a busy day for your local MOT tester. You know, you go from his his normal six or seven, eight on a busy day to uh, to three thousand seven hundred ninety eight vehicles booked in on one day. There'd be a bit of a queue outside. The, the overtime bill would be quite enormous too. My car, this is a bit of a sore point, is due for an MOT, and I've got a sneaky suspicion that I'm. This is when I say my car. This is the mini that's due for the MOT, and I've got a sneaky suspicion that it's going to need a suspension bush changing because you get that sort of feeling for like an engine mount's gone. You think uh, probably a bit of play in there. Now nothing the like a worn I, out bush. I know. Now this this bush has seen some serious action and mounted at the back of the lower front arm, and in true BMW slash Rover fashion, um, they've had a brilliant design where you has two bolts that go from the bottom, which would be super because you could just unbolt it and slide this bush off. But no, it's got one that goes through the top 
one massively long bolt, which means you have to take the subframe down to replace this £25 bush, the result of which is two hours worth of labour just to drop it down enough to get a socket in to undo this bolt. And I had a, a conversation today with a chap who, unbeknownst to him, is going to be the guy that's going to be doing it. And we said, have you ever done the front bush? So he just looked with, oh, yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, you, you definitely, you just definitely wouldn't want to do it. But the good news is it's being done on Saturday. <laughs> so, <laughs> it wasn't the classic expensive job, wasn't it? The Citroen Maserati, which uh, if you wanted to change the front disc pads, you had to take the engine out first. Ridiculous. When I uh, used to work for Renault many, many years ago, and on the Modus and on the Megane, I think it was the Modus and the Megane, certainly was the Modus, if you wanted to change the headlamp bulbs, you had to take the front bumper off. See, that's actually quite common, because I think the uh, lots of Subaru models from the early 2000s, mid-2000s were like that. Um, the Toyota I go... Uh, well, to take the headlamps off, you've got to take the bumper off. That's that's not too unusual. I think the, the last generation Mondeo, you didn't take the bumper off, but what the instruction manual did show you was you needed a friend to, to lever the corner of the bumper back in order to get access to a few of the bolts uh, at the front, which seemed a, a little bit odd to me, because if, you, uh, if you've got a ham-fisted mate and he pulled a little bit too hard, then uh, then that's a snapped bumper. But very odd design. Well, I remember the uh, the modus. The, the funny thing about French cars, of course, is you have to carry in France. You have to carry a spare bulb kit with you, so you can change the bulb at the Not side of the road. Not one that necessarily fits your car, of course. Just spare bulbs. It doesn't specify what sort. So if you happen to have been to IKEA and have bought some energy-saving light bulbs for your house, that counts. But if, what's the point if you can't change the bulb <laughs> at the side of the road? I remember the labour time was 1.4 hours to do this, to change the bulbs. And I remember telling somebody once that they would have to spend £160 or whatever it was to have the, he the, the headlamp bulbs change. And I remember recommending that they did all the bulbs in one headlamp and did them in the other side at the same time because it would be an extra sort of 25 quid or something. He said no. And, of course, if one of the bulbs went wrong, then you've got a, uh, you've got a warranty on it because it's brand new. Well, he said no. And next week, or possibly the week after, came back and said, can I have all the other bulbs done for 25 quid? Because the headlamp bulb on the other side needs doing. No, you can't, Unlucky. sir. Unlucky. <laughs> Unlucky. <laughs> yeah, so that was 320 quid or whatever it was worth of bulb changes, headlamp bulb changes in a modus, which probably was worth about 320 quid by the end, I should think. I was going to say, £320 buys you two, possibly three half-decent cars these days, doesn't it? It does. It, you can buy a lot for that. It did have one very good redeeming feature, and I quite liked it, but it was an optional extra. And that was it had a shopping chute in the back. So you didn't have to open the tailgate if you were really, really lazy. You could just pull it back and then drop it in like a laundry chute, which was fine until you got home and realised all your oranges had fallen out. Right, moving on. Shall we, uh, shall we have a little chat about the race car? Because uh, have we sent you the latest pictures? Have you seen those? What was it? Se 77, I think you sent me. Oh, yes, I, yes. I, I, I was conscious I'd been slightly less than active in the group, so I wanted to get my um, post count up. <laughs> we asked you last time, can you guess what our race livery is? And the good news is literally nobody got it wrong. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes, you're absolutely right. If you've, if you've seen the pictures... Uh, we've got some more recent pictures now for you. We've gone for a, a sort of our take on a martini livery, um, which is a bit of an interpretation of the 
early WRC um, focused rally cars. It's getting there now. It really is getting there now. We've got another, what do you reckon, another day or so, Jim, worth of prep? I think the the labour that's gone into the stickers is uh, probably the highest labour bill in terms of our hours that's gone into the car. Certainly more than we, time than we've spent on the mechanicals. But it's, uh, yeah. no, it's, it really, it's looking it's looking really rather pretty at the moment. I must say. So I think after the the second day, we said it would almost be a shame if we had a massive shunt in it because the the stickers look really pretty. I'd, I'd be a little bit upset to be honest. Certainly getting there. We've we've been reasonably ambitious but but not actually that rubbish for once which is good i think i'd be more upset if the stickers got damaged than if i got damaged if, if i was lightly damaged in in, yes. in an accident in that thing um because yes yeah. yeah, for, for once we have really taken our time over and i think it, although so, so, so i do actually think it looks pretty good but we know that it goes because goes faster with a better livery i thought it was very very good very effective look even if um my phone did nearly have a seizure when all the photos have arrived. I like the sort of faux martini striping. I think it's really cuff quite teeny, as we've called it. Cuff um, teeny. Our, our, our primary supporter, uh, a cuff miller. So we've got the stickers down the side, uh, and we've gone for a cuff teeny livery because it's it's a somewhat an interpretation of that. But I can just remember the the advert: "Try the taste of cuff teeny." I can't yes, see well, catch on. Mm, cuff teeny. Yes. <laughs> Our car aside, I think that is a great livery. And just because we like to shoot off in tangents, I think I have to say it's either got to be that Mart- a martini livery or a Repsol livery, the one that was on the Escort Cosworth, that have got to be my favourite race liveries of all time. Yeah, actually for me, the, the martini, because I, uh, I, I sort of pretty much like that wherever it appeared. But some of Eddie Jordan's not-quite-tobacco uh, liveries I thought were always interesting. I've still got a buzzing Hornets T-shirt somewhere kicking around the place. The games he used to play to uh, be just within the rules and keep his um, very, very expensive sponsor happy. What about the golf livery? That's got to be up there, surely. Well, it's timeless, that one, isn't it? Everyone everyone loves that. You can buy jackets, you can buy race bags, you can buy helmet bags, the whole lot with the, the golf livery. It's probably... Even if people don't really know what it is, I think people still would recognise that at a distance. In the same way, if you were to say red and white on a Formula One car, they probably couldn't tell you which team it was, but they tell you it was Marlborough. And yeah, I think sure. that was quite possibly yeah. one of the most elegant designs. It looked quite brash at the time, but you look back now, so mm. simple and effective when you consider all the colour that's splashed over Formula One cars these days. And equally, the the one that followed the, the West uh, McLaren livery which was sort of silver grey and white with a just a little dash of red i thought that was that was a really interesting one that 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 was very effective compared to what went before so what's what's the new um, mercedes going to look like in austria when it's uh, all black given that they've been the uh, silver arrows since the 1930s i think it looks brilliant but it, it is a change of 90 years of mercedes history a change is always good, you know, regardless of the reasons behind it, etc. A new livery is always exciting, whether you like it or not. Uh, as you said, with the McLaren livery going away from Marlborough to the uh, to the West colours at the time, it was, oh, that's yeah, fantastic, exciting, it's a change. Now, pretty much every time somebody does a fantasy McLaren livery, it's it's pretty much always Marlborough. And they say, well, you can't mm. be sponsored by a fag company. And they say, it doesn't matter, just still paint it red and white in uh, in the Chevron pattern, because that'll look cool. But uh, I think, no, the, the simpler liveries are the better. The Braun livery from uh, from 2009 was one of my favourites. But I think we've got, obviously, the, the Martini 
WRC in there. There's a, a little bit of um, 1996, 97 Audi in there accidentally, isn't it? Because we put the, the yes. 22 in slightly darker silver on the back over the light silver of the car. And uh, I think it was it was just one of those random. Oh well, let's try that and see see how it looks. And it turned out that it looked absolutely brilliant. And then realised afterwards what it looked like. It looks like an A4. <laughs> the simpler designs are definitely the best. But there's some definite iconic liveries out there as well. If you think about, if I said to you, metallic blue, with a yellow logo on the side, and the stars, and you think instantly, rally Ipretza, Colin McRae, don't you? Yep. Just paint, yeah. paint it blue, stick some bright yellow stickers on the side of it, put gold, gold wheels, wheels on it. Iconic. Yeah. In fact, I think even if you just led in with metallic blue and gold wheels, you'd know, wouldn't you? You'd just instantly know. Definitely. I, and there's just some, some really, there's been some really, truly great liveries over the years. Obviously, a lot of them have been the, the cigarette advertising. You've got like, the, the Texaco Sierras the, of the RS500s, if you sort of go back to those. The, the BCC touring cars, the Rapid Fit Mondeo was, um, was a great looking thing. Um, and also the Laguna that era was really nice as well. This is, this is just superb. There's a lot of the, um, the Benson and Hedges livery, the Benson Hedges yellow, looked absolutely superb as well. But of course you had the black and gold of, of the JPS back in the 70s as well, didn't you? So there, was, there were some hugely successful, hugely interesting liveries, a lot of them cigarette based uh, and a lot of them drinking based can't do so much of that anymore tobacco companies do just make a livery absolutely fantastic don't they you know the rothmans liveries of the williams from the mid 90s and uh mm, with williams yeah, announcing sure. their departure from rocket and uh and having a new or they'd be announcing a new livery uh, i think half the internet decided they wanted to be wanted them to be sponsored by colgate and keep the same livery the other half were, were just go back to the Rothmans livery, even if you're not sponsored by them, still just paint it those colours again because it's it's nostalgic and it's cool, isn't it? Yeah, that, again, that looked great on a Porsche, that looked great on an Escort. It, yeah, it had some versatility to it, didn't it, as well? Like the Martini livery, really, really quite beautiful. And if you guys have got a favourite, or you even better than that, if you've been inspired by a race livery and you vinyl your car or painted your car, we really do want to see it. So... Why don't you tweet us at UK Motor Talk, stick it to us on Facebook at UK Motor Talk or otherwise via Instagram, you guessed it, at UK Motor Talk. And if you're that way inclined, you can still post it to us at UK Motor Talk Towers, PO Box, whatever it is, send it to us that way because we'd, we'd just love to see it. Something that I have been thinking about since we last met is affordable dream cars. Now, the reason why this popped up is because we've been talking about things we'll buy for certain budgets and 25, 30 grand or what have you. And I realised that sometimes dream cars can be completely ordinary. Sometimes they can be quite special. Sometimes they can be affordable. Sometimes they can be all of these things. Now, I'm fortunate enough to own two of my uh, dream cars presently. I My Mini, which is a, a particularly average in many respects, an, a, an average normal car. It's not particularly expensive, but I really enjoy it. It's just very expensive to run. And I also own my 1980s Orion, which is a bit left field. But I can understand that's not everyone's cup of tea, but it's one of those cars I always dreamed to own when I was growing up, and I'm lucky to have both of these things, which is which is superb. Now, the, you guys have owned some really interesting stuff. Have you owned, or do you aspire to own, something that is an affordable dream car 
Does this mean I can't include any of the list of Ferraris that I circulated widely earlier? Yes. Affordable being the operative word. Affordable for the average person rather than affordable for uh, Elon Musk. (laughs) Yes. Well, I guess all of my dream cars are predicated on the basis of winning the lottery, like an awful lot of people's. But uh, I'll run you through four quick cars, and and they are all all affordable, I think. Rover 3500 V8 Auto, because I've had two of those, and they go like stink, and I've always enjoyed them. I haven't seen one for many, many years. My teacher had one. All right. One of the the best drives I ever had on track was the Jaguar S-Type R, the supercharged one. Uh, Yeah, it's a lot of car for the money. It's a very, very good car for the money now. Very few of them about. I did a, uh, recorded a road test in one at, uh, at about 120, 130 on the bowl at Millbrook. Uh, another old favourite of mine, the MG Midget. Uh, you know, very low tech, but great fun. And something I've never driven, but I've always wanted to, is a Caterham. You know, I've not said Lotus because that takes you into the unaffordable. Uh, but a Caterham, a sort of old-school Caterham, 1600 cross-flow, a couple of twin-choke Webers or something like that. Yes, I think that'd be a lot of fun. So, uh, something to aspire to. I just haven't got around to driving one. Now, just had a quick search whilst Graham was chatting there. S-Type R, just in case you're wondering, um, four to seven grand seems to buy a reasonable one. So, yeah, definitely but, achievable. Very affordable motor car. There just aren't many of them. You've got to find a good one, so I should think you'd expect to pay... Top end of that, those sort of range of numbers, but uh, they are so comfortable. Uh, one of the most stable cars at high speed that I think I've ever driven. Much to my surprise, I drove a Ferrari 456 on the same day and didn't enjoy the experience much at all. It was all over the bloody place, but uh, the Jaguar is just rock steady at, at, at nearly double the uh, speed limit. Mm. It's interesting you say about the 456, because I think that's probably one of mine. I've always loved it. It's the most beautiful Ferrari of its era, I think. I agree. Perhaps you could argue that the 355 is equally well-proportioned, but when you compare it to what Ferrari are churning out now, which, you know, are obviously amazing cars, but they're all just designed in a wind tunnel, those were cars that actually look nice and pretty. And I remember Rowan Atkinson bought one in in the most odd colors i think it was very dark racing green with a red leather interior and they he wrote an article about it and you followed his ownership of it in car magazine back in the mid 90s and it showed him going to i think it was probably marinello concessionaries down in egham which is where everyone used to go Mm. Uh, showed him with the metal swatches and the you know the leather patches i remember thinking well that is a beautiful car and every time I see one now, I think, you know, it's it's still one I would have if if money were no object. I think that's the Ferrari I'd probably go for, that or a 355, perhaps even a 348, none of which are really affordable, affordable. But I think the 456 is still sort of borderline, not necessarily lottery winner, but sort of well-heeled builder or something. <laughs> probably <laughs> well, it's, probably have one. It's not one of the hugely collectible ones, but the 355 is becoming so. 355s are now fetching the same sort of money as, as a, an average Dino. But there we are, yeah. you see. I'm off on my Italian car kick again. Well, it's striking up the 348 price now. You know, the one that everyone used to slate and say, oh, horrible, nasty car, looks like a cut price Testarossa. They're now starting to creep up. And even the left-hand drive ones are now expensive, whereas they were obviously the much cheaper ones. Sure. I do keep an eye on these things as well, Graham. I share your love of Italian... Uh, cars it's a love-hate relationship for me having owned so many but um, not ferraris i'd point out 
very affordable piece of Italian that I saw uh, just earlier this evening, which was a 2005 Maserati Quattroporti. At auction, six to eight grand, only done 70,000. Pity it's a horrible colour, but looked a good car for six to eight grand and a Maserati with that trident on the front. Yeah, I'd have one of those, I think. Well, when you say affordable, of course, it's a uh, it, it's sometimes a case of how much is it to buy, but then it's how much is it worth at the end of it, just as modern cars are all sold on PCPs, so that the actual retail price is irrelevant. It's what's it worth in two or three years' time, and you, you divide the difference between the new price and that price, and that's mm. how much you pay per month normally with uh, with 0% APR. But as, uh, as cars like these are creeping up in value, uh, they become more and more affordable to run in, uh, in the long term. I think, uh, what did Nick Mason pay for his Ferrari 250? Was it 30-something thousand pounds he paid for it? It uh, wasn't a lot, whatever it was. In uh, in 1970 or 1980, whenever he bought it, but it's uh, it's obviously worth considerably more now. So uh, if you could get a PCP deal on that, then uh, that'd pay you back <laughs> quite a few thousand pounds per month. In which case, that's uh, that's very affordable. I can do that. He does, if you see him interviewed about that, say that he replaced virtually every part of it, and really he bought the duffest car around of its type, and and it was a, a total and utter rebuild with virtually every part replaced but nevertheless it's a 250 gto and it goes like stink and um i've actually seen him driving it on the on the road i passed him in shepherd's bush years ago driving it in traffic which i thought was quite extraordinary that anybody was brave enough to drive a car like that in traffic but just could, can you imagine if if you ran in if you ran into the back of him if he stopped and you weren't paying attention and and you crashed into the back of that. Can you imagine the phone call to your insurance company with that? If you're really keen on Ferrari ownership, though, there are still a couple of relative bargains. And there are, as you've said, they're only going to go one way. The Mondial, if you can get over the, the sort of looks of the thing, because it's not a particularly pretty car, I would argue. It's not a pretty but car. One that is, the 348 is not a lot of money. They start at sub 40 grand, which is a few years ago, so where the... the the, the Testarossa was and actually that's a I think a really nice looking car really nice looking car I'd quite happily spend that sort of money if I had that sort of money I think on something like that I'd be comfortable in my mind that that's going to appreciate in value if that's what's of interest to you but I'm looking at one here which has got 56,000 miles on the clock it's under 40,000 pounds it's in red it's got the sort of cream coloured leather and it's it's just a lovely looking thing for that money it's a lot of car for that money I mean it, guess it would cost you a small fortune to keep it running of course forty thousand pounds is uh is what the the average retail price of uh of a slightly anonymous maybe slightly boxy suv these days isn't it so actually that's very affordable because everybody seems to have an anonymous suv these days you'd need to, to have fairly deep pockets to keep it serviced and running and so on and so on or be a very very talented amateur mechanic with a very very good workshop it would be very easy to invest £40,000 and then instantly wipe almost all of that off by uh, by getting it serviced at your local quick fit or Halfords, wouldn't it? <laughs> <laughs> your your Quattroporti, I was saying, Graham, would, um, would cost you a fortune in servicing. I know a man who does that for a living, sort of sells and um, services Maseratis of recent years, and he said the, uh, the parts prices are eye-watering because they're not 
pattern parts they're not shared with anything else they're not fiat bits on the whole they are all bespoke bits and you cannot get them from anyone but Maserati and he says he's seen grown men almost cry when he's told them how much it's going to cost for a lower wishbone for the rear or something like that and half of it is labour and it's eye watering. I don't doubt that at all. Somebody will sit in the back of a factory knocking those out of a solid piece of steel and it'll take forever and cost an arm and a leg. Nice cars though, absolutely wonderful. And and as you say, really sensibly priced. I was offered a, a coupe uh, and a recent one as well. It's like a 2006, 2007, not long ago, for about 17 grand. That's a hell of a lot of car for the money, isn't it? It certainly yes. is. Oh, just look at that. Baby Ferrari, you might argue. Yes, absolutely. Definitely got the noise. It's Ferrari, Maserati, Alfa, uh, and then down to Fiat, isn't it, in the, in the overall structure? Fiat have made some interesting cars, though. Let's be honest. They have made, they've made some absolutely dreadful cars. But they've also made some really quite interesting cars. Now, David, you had one, didn't you? I've had a number, actually. I've had, I had three Fiat Uno turbos. I had a Tipo 16 valve, or as it's known, the Sedici Valvole, or Valvole. I don't know how you meant to pronounce it, but it, it was written on the back. And everyone used to go, what's that mean? 16 valves. Well, that sounds <laughs> a lot better in Italian, doesn't it? And, uh, and I, had the, I had the Barchetta, which was lovely. That's a pretty car. Punto in drag, but at least it wasn't an MX-5. The wheels were driven in the wrong end, but you know, I wasn't fussed. I thought it looked it looked stunning, and it, it and it handled pretty nicely for a front-wheel drive car. And it was a lot more practical than the MX-5. It had a lot more room in it, and it had the added bonus of being a bit exotic with the steering wheel on the wrong side. Uh, that was then followed by a 156, and the party was over. I now drive Skodas. The uh, the 156 <laughs> disgraced itself. And uh, I haven't gone back since. Maybe one day. I'd like an Integrale, actually, or another Barchetta, or even an Uno Turbo. But, uh, yeah, once bitten, maybe not. Michael, you're, you're holding up the Coupe Turbo, yes? Oh, like them. I've always quite fancied a Coupe Turbo, because I think from the front, that is a really good-looking car. It makes all the right noises. It has some really interesting styling. The back's slightly iffy for my money. But I always fancied one of those, that sort of glossy blue colour they did you know sort of the flat blue and it was yeah French blue yeah really lovely looking car that and I genuinely think if you're looking to buy something which is going to appreciate in value I think it's so it's been so underappreciated for years I really do think that that is going to be a great buy give it another 10-15 years I think they're going to start to really climb in value those really climb in value the ones that haven't been wrapped around trees yes there's Dare I say, and you, you can shoot me down on this as much as you like, because it's it's certainly nowhere near as pretty, but the, it puts me in mind a bit of the Dino in in terms of what it is. And it's only a, a coupe, it's not the you know a sports car in the same sort of way, but I think it's, it, it, it's not appreciated in the same way that the Dino wasn't really appreciated until more recent years, and now that is a serious amount of money. If you want to buy a Dino, how much are they now? You can still get a Dino for three... 350, 400,000. Uh, I drove one in the early 90s and somebody had just spent 50 grand and it was on the market for 50 grand because he was desperately trying to cover his costs. Fabulous motor car. Loved it. Mm. Really pretty. I really like the Dean. I think it's a very pretty car. Pininfarina again. Yeah, n- nice in proportion. But we stray from the topic. So certainly I would say that something like a little Barchetta, um, as I said, if I pronounced that right, 
Barquetta. I think that is a great example of a, an affordable dream car. For me, I'm, I really, really loved the proportions of the Puma. And it was one of those cars, I, I bought one. I had a Mini and I sold it to get the, the last bit of the deposit together so I could buy my house. And I bought a Puma as a stopgap. And it's one of those cars I've been the most impressed by. It's also one of the cars I've been most injured by because of the way that the roof is. You always constantly smack the side of your head on it, getting in and out. And I, bearing in mind that I'm incredibly short, that's supposed to be a real problem if you're tall. Um, but the good news is you get used to it after a while and then someone else drives it. And you get in the passenger side and smack the other side of your head on the roof. That aside... <laughs> Um, it had a little fizzy 1.7 Yamaha engine, which used to love to rev and sounded fantastic. And this unbelievably sweet little chassis. And you could chuck it down a country road. And it was so much fun to drive. And I know, I'm, I'm sure I've said it before, I paid about 900 quid for the car. I think I changed a shocker or pair of shockers on it and did a service. And then sold it for about 950 quid. It was absolutely superb. And it's one of those cars, again, that, I tried to buy as my first car and couldn't afford to insure it. It was like £2,700 to insure it back then because it's a coupe. But one of those great little cars that actually I would gladly have one again. A- an affordable little dream car, I think. Good pedigree in the advertising stakes as well because obviously Steve McQueen drove that through um, San Francisco by the miracle of uh, post-production. That was a very, very clever advert, that, especially for the time. Oh, yeah, it was, certainly was. I reckon perhaps one of the best adverts of all time, if not the best car advert. I mean, we all like the Clio Nicole advert, right? But, I mean, this is, this is, this is a different league. Absolutely superb. I don't know. The, uh, the Brian May Ford Everything We Do is driven by you adverts. I still think you've got to go some way to beat that. Good God, I wanted to shoot myself every time I heard that. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. I think I was transmitting it. I think that was the problem. I think I was actually transmitting it um, in a previous incarnation. And it uh, it was on practically every other break of an evening around things like Coronation Street. And it just, that, oh, sorry, never, ever, <laughs> ever again. I, I know exactly what you mean by this. Because I did a very, very brief stint on the radio. And there was, it was when, it was Sandy Tom's, punk rocker or something which they played every five minutes top loaders dancing in the moonlight which they still play every <laughs> 10 minutes and something else can't remember what it was it was pink and so what or something and whenever i hear those three songs instantly have to turn the radio off because they just played it all the time and it was I just, oh, it, it just did me in in the end that that top loader track uh was a track that i quite enjoyed until uh, I did with some colleagues who were bidding for a radio license. We did a carnival, uh, and we were on the back of a flatbed truck with a disco and internet balloons and stuff, and the CD player that we were using got stuck, and that's the only thing it would play. And I had oh. to endure that for the best part of three hours. I absolutely hate that piece of music. <laughs> in the UK, we don't get that many songs dedicated to cars, do we? In America, there's been loads about Mustangs and Lots all kinds of, of bits and pieces. Yeah. But in the UK, we don't get that much, do we? What about a Silver Capri? <laughs> <laughs> then it's, I don't know, it's, uh, what, songs about cars made in Britain, do you mean? It would be fairly hard to... Uh... To write a nitty little ditty about a, I don't know, a Vauxhall Corsa or a, a Mariva, wouldn't it? I think I saw a classical piece about an Allegro. <laughs> oh, dear. <laughs> oh, dear. 
Yeah, you very probably did. Dave, this this has got me thinking. You were in the States, I think, last year. One of the things I noticed mm. years and years ago driving through California was every place that you saw on, on, a, on a sign above any of the motorways was, was in a piece of music somewhere. You know, it was, it was just like driving rock and roll history. Yeah, when we were last there, we just stayed in the city. But, yeah, there was enough car-related stuff just in San Francisco and so many references that I could hear and see just by being in the city. It was just, just by driving around the place or going around on the uh, on the streetcars and uh, in the cabs and things. All I could hear in my head was the theme to Dirty Harry and the <laughs> bullet soundtrack because every time we crested yet another bit of the hill there was um steve mcqueen coming flying down it in a mustang it was um it was quite an amazing city actually and um i i really really want to go back and um sort of redo it and do it almost corner for corner the uh the bullet chase if nothing else even though if you go online yeah yeah exactly there's a there's a couple of those actually the um the bullet recreation ones when we were looking for a car recently we ended up with a fiesta you'll be glad to hear um <laughs> there was a there was a green um obviously highland green uh bullet bullet mustang brand new still in the uh in the plastic but the thing that completely freaked me out was the steering wheel being on the right it just seems so wrong but yet now we can get them in right-hand drive. It's uh, mm. it's quite remarkable. I mean, that's my favourite car chase by a very, very long way, but I'm still belatedly rooting for the Dodge Charger because I just thought, yeah. fabulous motor car. American stuff, it sounds, the, the cars sound amazing. And it's, oh, it's just a five-litre V8, this, that, the other, producing 140 horsepower. <laughs> How is that even possible? <laughs> emissions well i I try and keep up with with uh, some stuff from hot rod magazine and uh you know the 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 way they've dealt with the v8s has always been pretty conventional but in the last year or two they've all suddenly adopted turbos and you Mm. know it's it's seeing a a a big blower with a big uh hood scoop sticking out the top of, of of the of the bonnet was was sort of classic hot rod classic american motors uh, American graffiti, sort of, you know, the 32 Ford and all that sort of stuff. And it just doesn't work quite the same with a turbo strapped in between the two cheeks of a of a V8. Yeah, you know, it's just not the same. But they're incredibly powerful, some of the ones that they're producing now. And you can buy a sort of 7-litre, what they call a crate engine, which is turbo and all the ancillary parts fitted. Uh, you can just drop it into to your car just by the, the parts that you need to to make it fit. Mm. I've I've seen these crate engines. It quite literally even has the dash clocks and the ECU and everything all in there, and yeah. you add fuel and away you go. It's a fantastic way of being able to tune up a car. And I, I really wish they did something like that over here. Uh, unfortunately, if you are driving around in a in a, a Corsa or a Fiesta or something, you, you you can't get a V8 just to drop in underneath it. And I doubt they're likely to be writing songs about it. I'm just, I'm just trying to think maybe. Something about a supernova or something. Who knows? But what, what a great way of being able to tune a car up. Superchargers, I think, on V8s, I'm with you. They sound incredible. There's mm. something about a supercharger wine that you just can't replicate. Ideally, I'd like to think I'll end up with a turbo, a supercharged, a naturally aspirated car, and maybe an electric one. Who knows? And at the moment, I suppose, I do have a baby supercharged one, a turbo and a, a naturally aspirated car. But it... 
it's nice to have the, all the different cars with different things. You've got the, the supercharger for the wine and you get the, the constant power. There's nothing quite like having a naturally aspirated car just for the way it drives. But modern turbos are just incredible. And if you want to make big power, I think a, a turbo now is the way to do it. Just yeah, because of the way you can map them. And... Years and years ago, in the early days of Festival of Speed, there was a, 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 one of the very early Mercedes with superchargers, about a 1918 or something, running up the hill. And I commented to a much older motoring journalist than me about uh, the fabulous noise. He said, yes, he said, the the next time we heard that, well, they were uh, Stukas. <laughs> <laughs> was it the old Mercedes that used to have the clutched belt ones? You could engage them. Have I made that up? No, there were some that you could do that, certainly. But if you listen yeah. to some of those those early Mercedes supercharged cars, you know, just listening to them going up the hill, it's an extraordinary noise. But I'm mm. guessing if you were unfortunate enough to be on a beach in um, Dunkirk, you might have felt differently about that noise. We could digress about all these things all day, and I think definitely we need to come back and talk about music, A, in movies and car chases, because that's really important. Um, Bullet, who knows, the Italian job, we, we could go back there another time, as well as songs about cars. But music of a different kind, engines, Formula One, always used to be better in the old days. <clears throat> but Formula One is back again, and I know that Jim is dying to talk about it. Yeah, this, this weekend in Austria, the hills will be alive with the sound of music, but just uh, music of a slightly different sort. It will be a bit bereft of, uh, of crowds, but it's, uh, it's, I, I can't wait, to be honest. It's, it's been far too long of a break. Uh, we, we won't, I don't think we should go into too much of an in-depth uh, preview of the Austrian Grand Prix. Uh, so, but if, uh, if you do feel like you need a preview, then uh, just have a listen to one of our podcasts from earlier in the year where we were talking about the Australian Grand Prix. And if we just skip a little bit out of Australian, it very quickly becomes Austrian. Or if you say it quickly, it's hard to tell the difference. Then uh, just have a listen to that because not a lot's changed since the Australian Grand Prix, as it didn't happen. So, uh, no, can't wait for it this weekend. It'll be great to get going again and uh, and see how things shape up. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I'd say every year, I'm not sure I'm not enjoying it as much, but I always end up watching every minute that's on terrestrial TV. But I won't pay that man from Sky any money at all. <laughs> what do you think, guys? Your hot tip for a winner this weekend? Lewis. Uh, I, can see Ma- I can see Max doing well. Uh, seeing yes. his com- comments today, he's not sort of been in the car really at all, so... Whereas Lewis has had some time at Silverstone, I know, so um, uh, he might be uh, feeling a little more in touch with the car. But I, I just think as long as it's a great race, I almost don't care who wins. But if <laughs> I'm forced to put money on it, then it'll be on Lewis. Well, I, think, I don't know. It's, uh, Lewis typically, over the last couple of seasons, has, has maybe been a little bit slow. I mean, it's, it's, it's all relative. Um, slow for him maybe only just winning or finishing second but it seems to be over the last couple of years it takes Lewis until about halfway through the season to really hit his stride and somewhat around just before or just after the summer break is when he finds another gear and off he goes maybe as some of the others are flagging I I think the season this year could be a a little bit short for that if uh, if you're not out of the blocks uh, and on the pace quickly there isn't that much time to catch up similarly there aren't that many races if and, and if you go for it a bit too hard and 
have mechanical niggles or a DNF or crash into somebody or whatever. There's there aren't that many races to catch it up. So um, who knows? It, it could be a could be a bit of a mix up, but maybe that's just a hope springing eternal, and uh, and it'll be eight to ten to twelve Mercedes one twos, uh, and off we go again. <laughs> I think the, the the fact that there are multiple races at very very short gaps is going to be something of a shake up, because if somebody's really hot on the Saturday, I'm speculating, a hypothetical scenario. But if somebody's really hot on the Saturday uh, and wins that Grand Prix, they're going to be very very keen to win the following day's one or the following week's one, whichever. But the fact that we haven't got two three week gaps between them or and a European off-season. I, I think that's going to change things a little bit. If you're hot, you're hot, and uh, you'll you'll go for the win. Yeah, the uh, the the run of form will be. Yeah, there's there's no time to reset in between races or uh, rebuild things or, or maybe even bring too many developments along. Is there? It's uh, it's going to be relentless, but it's uh, it'll be entertaining more than anything else. No, the main thing. Let's all watch it. As always, we have digressed far off topic, but there are lots of things that we like to chat about. Guys, it's been great talking to you again. We look forward to speaking to you next time. And from me, Mike, it's goodbye. From me, Jim, it's goodbye. From me, Graham, good night, Godspeed. And from me, David, nice to be back. And it's great to have you back. See you all guys all later. Take care. And as always, don't forget to check us out on our socials on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, and of course, Twitter, where we are all the time. UK Motor Talk, a first take media production.